Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Good day, everyone. It's V coming to you live from Australia. Uh, Matt, somewhere in Canada, I was just talking about my 15-minute city where I've been commuting. I've been receiving some extra credits uh, on my Corbin credits. I was able to procure some more crickets, and uh, I have been given the permission to travel one more kilometer from my designated city. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is great, and and uh, and we're all all. Equally allowed to get extra extra usage, extra us- usage time as a, as a gift of gratitude by the by the state to by uh, Supreme Leader Pass. Yeah, Supreme Leader Pass. So you've got an, an extra powerful magic carpet as well, where you can well, travel other it's... planets as well. So you, even though you're physically only able to move maybe 16 kilometers from your house, you can actually go to other planets, Jupiter, Mars, and beyond digitally on your magic carpet. So what what more freedom could you wish for? You can't ask for any more freedom than that, Matt. I mean, being Australian, I'm able to get on my crocodile magic carpet and fly to various worlds like uh, Mars and uh, Jupiter. And uh, I was able to go there and be like, a whole new world. Beautiful. A whole new world is where I see virtual reality will take me there. I will go far without a car. Carbon <laughs> credits. I don't need any more. I give them away thanks to central bank issued digital currencies. Can't you see it's a whole new world? <laughs> well, you know, this sort of transitions into uh, like one of the things that I think people are beginning to, I hope, wake up to is the fact that um, th- this this thing called Twitter is not exactly the platform of freedom that that we had uh, somehow. It's weird. A year ago, if you asked any any halfway reasonable-minded person who kind of knows a thing or two about where the world is going, what's shaping it, the, the nefarious conspiracies to reduce the world population, they would have said, yeah, Twitter is um, an intelligence operation, completely controlled, get the hell off of it, it's, uh, it's run by the military-industrial complex, common knowledge. All of a sudden, you got this the, the richest guy in the world somehow buys it who's a proponent of transhumanism, who's actually advocating, just like Klaus Schwab, microchipping our brains, who's the biggest military contractor with the military-industrial complex, with Starlink satellites being used in a proxy war in Ukraine and in the overthrow of the Iranian government and many other problems of the world. Uh, This guy is advertising the the 3D printing of mRNA vaccine technology in subsidiaries of his Tesla companies and his Tesla cars, are already proven to be integrated with the whole CBDC 
um, digital ID program for shutting off your car or at least limiting your ability to move because you can't obviously drive your car more than a couple hundred kilometers before you have to, you know, power it up again. And these things can be shut off automatically from um, or remotely if you've done something bad or you've eaten too much, uh, too much meat or po polluted too much this this uh, month beyond your your personal allocated carbon credits. All of these things are there, and all of a sudden, people think, "Oh, that's my freedom is to plunge in and have a podcast or or be able to be in my Twitter space five, six, seven, eight, twelve hours a day. That's my freedom." Um, and Tucker Carlson all of a sudden showing that, uh, you know, I'm, I, he's going to set up a, a new show on, on Twitter is just causing all of these people who seemed to be developing a mind over the last couple of years of, of being slapped down by reality, all of a sudden are just lobotomizing themselves thinking that, okay, this is, this is the, the battleground for freedom is my right to be in Twitter. Yes. Uh, and now you have this woman, right? This, this world economic forum, um, Dr. Setter. This this woman is a high up executive at the World Economic Forum. I forgot her name, Linda Yaccarino or something. Yaccarino. Yaccarino. She's all of a sudden the new Twitter CEO, and and again, a, a few people are are saying, well, that's a bit weird, but they're they're not actually making any appropriate um, changes in how they relate to their their lame ass concept of freedom, being my freedom to just like not be censored on Twitter usually um and even if you had full non-censorship on twitter it doesn't matter because that's not where reality is there's this that's that's a digital cage and there's this higher reality where a real fight is happening over the future of humanity and if you're not part of that on some amplitude being in reality organizing in in town hall meetings organizing running for office organizing for policies that involve shaping the character of your society towards something that is viable. If you're not doing that, I'm sorry, you might feel like you're free, but the food production systems are still being shut down. The electricity grids in which you rely to access your Twitter is being shut down. You know, no, you're not changing much of anything. Well, the good thing that our WEF or, you know, our WEF or WEF overlords have is very novel in their approach to food production, Matthew. I mean, these Dutch farmers, how dare they? How dare they advocate the release of methane and carbon dioxide with their smelly cows and their disgusting tractors when we can replace all of these farms, which are just, let's be honest, I mean, food is overrated. It's overrated, man. We don't, you don't, we don't even need that much, okay? And then having those farms, don't, and, and then in place of those farms, having... World Economic Forum Food Innovation Hubs, where we innovate food, Matthew. I mean, doesn't that excite you? I mean, there's something ecstatic. I mean, I was blown away when I had my first Impossible Burger. I thought it was impossible. That's something that's derived in a laboratory will taste like, uh, um, you know, yeah, like like a dish rag. It, it was it was impossible, but they did it, and yeah. I'm looking forward to this new innovation. All the innovation coming from Klaus's ginormous brain he's a genius yeah it, it's amazing right I, I was just talking to uh to cynthia she we're, we're working on a series of of little document or little videos little mini documentaries um on why there are no limits to growth so the idea is to just showcase where is all of the false scarcity being created by the absence of the application of viable technologies not even new technologies that don't exist yet but just technologies that have existed now that are 
uh, being sabotaged or not being applied to create abundance. So what are these things? And one of the points she was uh, she was making to me last night when we were talking was uh, that she spent many hours on the World Economic Forum website. And at this point, I, I try to generally avoid that cesspool, but it's still useful to like look at just some of the uh, the conditioning and what they're putting out there as uh, as predictive programming. And one thing she pointed out is that it's very difficult to hear any or read anything that is overtly Malthusian or that overtly speaks of the need for population reduction, even though we all know that that is the governing ideology. But they speak in terms of, oh, yeah, if we have these new innovative technologies, we can feed the world, um, you know, several times over. We'll have no more starvation, no more, no more poverty. And, you know, yes, we'll have useless eaters who will be made redundant by uh, automation and and these things. But, you know, well, they'll they'll all their needs will be taken care of in our utopian future of applied technology. And, you know, they'll have drugs and video games to occupy their attention to keep from being too bored. But in reality, when you look at what they're doing, and this is a good exercise for people who have been a little bit too, I think, conditioned around sense impression. Right. We're 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 too um, susceptible to words, surface words. And we don't often uh, look at, well, what is the agenda, which you have to only see with your mind's eye by looking at where do words that might often sound pretty um, fall fall short of the reality, the actions being done by a person or an institution. And here you see, well, in everything that they're committed to doing from um shutting down farmers across Canada, across the Netherlands, imposing food production restrictions. Like in Canada, there's a, an obvious uh, program sponsored by the Canadian government, which is a World Economic Forum government, to reduce food production of, of all farmers across Canada, uh, de deprive them of access of uh, their fertilizer use, because obviously this is bad for the environment and we all care about the environment. But when you destroy the, the fertilizer access to small and medium industrial farms, well, that's going to also have a corollary to the destruction of your ability to produce food, as we see also in uh, in the Netherlands and across Europe with with this thing called Fit for 55. The idea that uh, by by uh, 2055, you know, there will be a complete carbon neutral and methane neutral uh, mode of behavior in farming. And they're paying farmers to actually get out of farming in, in London. I was just reading or in Britain. I was just reading how they're actually offering farmers and uh, 120% of what they would have normally expected to receive in their pensions because a lot of them are retiring. So they're basically saying get early retirement, early pension will we'll pay you 120% of what you were expecting to get um, had you just waited an, another few years. And the other thing is they're, they're offering to pay a, about 50% more for the, the real estate of the farm value as a whole in order to just have the state or these, I'm not sure which private companies, buy up these uh, the, the various farmlands that are still owned as family farms and, uh, and ensure that there are no, there is no farming, that these people just leave farming forever. And, uh, and it's, it's a really clear intention to destroy the food production basis. And I'm, I'm not even talking about the, the food processing facilities, but just the basic food production is being consciously disrupted, destroyed, undermined in order to create a new culture where people think it's normal to eat bugs like in canada we've got the biggest cricket processing facility in the world oh you got to be kidding me man Nah, man it's it's uh all sorts of cricket uh, gummy bear or gu gummy crickets uh cricket flour cricket uh, deep fried crickets like all kinds of varieties of mm. cricket 
are now uh, going to be accessible to Canadians who will, who are, you know, obviously are repulsed by this, but they're trying to get them young. So they're bringing these things into schools, all the elementary schools across Canada and across even you see videos in Europe of kids being trained at a young age in the school cafeterias on why, even though your parents are going to think this is weird, um, it's actually really cool and great because you shouldn't trust anybody over 30 anyway. And they're just conditioning the kids young to uh, start thinking that this is not disgusting and actually toxic because there are no safety standards either. Like I'm not even against intrinsically. I'm not personally against um, eating eating bugs intrinsically. I mean, if, if, you know, whatever. But if there's an agenda to do it in such a way that they're, like right now, the bug farms have no safety standards. The, the bugs are eating their own feces. Uh, there's no ability to, to, you know, manage this. There, there's toxicity in the bug shells anyway. Like there, there's all sorts oh of layers. Of there are parasites you can't even cook off from the bugs. Yeah. It's, it's wrong on so many yeah. levels. Um, no, but I mean, Klaus, no, we have to trust Klaus and the people with, with Klaus. And that, that's a big thing, man. Well, we're the geniuses. They are the geniuses. I, I, yeah, I'm not a genius. So yeah, who am I to, to possibly speak? Uh, yeah, that's, well, but that's the thing, right? It, it's, we're just in such a society where people have been conditioned to believe that, I mean, it's the very opposite of what a, what a, a citizen based society actually is. A republic can only work if you have c citizens and a citizen is somebody who takes responsibility, participates in the process of democracy, of the process of policy, policy making on a local uh, state, federal, and even global level. That, that discussion, the discussion of reality has to always be present in the minds of citizens um, who are constantly looking to be informed and acting upon new information as it comes. And that was the way, you know, there used to be fights. Um, in the 19th century in America, there were fights over whether America was going to adopt protectionism or free trade in bars, you know? Like, that's, that's, that's a healthy type of thing. That's a healthy type of process. Today, we've been told, no, that that, that the world is too complex. That was fine for the primitive age before the fourth industrial revolution. But now things are so complex that, that regular plebes can't be expected to think about things they're not qualified to think about. That should just be for scientific managerial experts um, who are above the pollution of elected demo democracies where, you know, things change and fluctuate and people are voted in and voted out. No, 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 no. Things are so powerful and complex now that we need to have a new a new breed of managerial elite. And they act like this is a new thing. This is exactly how all oligarchies have ever functioned, was always for thousands of years to have an approved grouping of high priests who know how to manage the levers of population management, perception management, and, uh, and keep the plebes as decadent, satisfied, and or starving as possible in order to keep them loving their shadows or at least enslaved by the shadow world that they don't know how to get out of. So it's not a new thing. It's just that it's, it's got a bit more of a, 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 an appearance of secular secularity or scient scientism um, on the surface, but it's the same old um, Luciferian cultish doctrines uh that have always been there for for again thousands of years even before there was the christian age you had proto-luciferian doctrines managing the 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 cattle class under the the cult of of apollo uh the cult of Del apollo at delphi the um the various uh Eleusian mystery schools that were always part of brainwashing operations to both condition through various psychedelic um 
mystical experiences that was that were being organized by the high priests that would be also managing the the banking structures of the ancient world of Greece and uh, ancient Rome. Um, they would they would basically be organizing international geopolitical wars on the one hand to keep various rival uh, groupings at constant war with each other, but also keeping the population as susceptible and manipulative as possible through heavy doses of orgiastic frenzies as part of, you know, annual or, or seasonal um, orgiastic dances and rituals within the Dionysian, Dionysiac um, celebrations. And, uh, you know, this is well documented. The, the, the actual organizing of the mystery, the mystery religions that, again, utilized various forms of proto uh, LSD type of, of experiences that used blight, like little, little mold that would grow on wheat that could then be derived into hallucinogenic experiences, giving people a false sense of spiritualism to break down, deconstruct their identities both for the elites that would then become the the managerial priest class, but then also for the the lower level people who would be given doses of this, um, just to keep them in a state of sensualism and an inability to harmonize their 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 sense of conscience and duty with a sense of their their desires, their 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 will to want to do that which is necessary for the greater uh, good of themselves and of the world that they're a part of. So that this idea of keeping the science of keeping people at war at, at odds with their own hearts and minds, as well as keeping society as a whole at war with their neighbors, with their communities and making them ultra compliant um, and just crafting as well elites that would be given special experiences to be the managerial auxiliaries is not new. This this sure we see newer forms of psilocybines and stuff being now promoted by the Canadian government, by the World Economic Forum, um, that they're bringing these things online, including in British Columbia, uh, where everything is now legal as, as a new technique of making you happy and satisfied to be um, a plebe who can't have any ability to influence your rea your reality in any meaningful way. So like, like Yuval Harari says, drugs and video games, we have Obviously, metaverse is not really working out because the technology is more primitive than they, they're expecting, but they want things like that to work together to keep people willingly out of a, a, a citizen identity. Because I, I mean, I guarantee you, they're like, look, if you want to find the people who are the least engaged with uh, taking on moral fights that are more than themselves, the way the way that we saw with people like, you know, Henry C. Carey, Lincoln, the founding fathers, people like Thomas Paine who were working on an international level, Benjamin Franklin, working on an international level on uh, in, the, in the realm of real ontological ideas that impact the potentials of the human species. You're, if you want to find people who are not going to do that, look towards anybody who is uh, just living in that culture of what Yuval Harari wants um, and thinking that they're, get, they're tapping into the divine... Um, you know, inner God in, in themselves by having these hallucinogenic experiences floating through the metaverses and other realities and dimensions. And I mean, it's, it's really, it is that lame, but we're walking into our own slavery and we're, and it's being repackaged by people like Joe Rogan and others who are, are just stupid on this point as being our freedom, our freedom to be on Twitter, our freedom to have access to the drugs that we want. Uh, these are all the freedoms that we're being told to fight for as we decentralize and all just stop thinking about the big fight for humanity and just think about our own little mini personal realities that uh, that's all that matters.
you you know so you're telling me that we shouldn't be drinking ayahuasca and going on psychedelic trips and the psychedelic hallucinations that we're seeing is it's not reality well i would say to people who who really are in that vibe right now <laughs> let's actually defeat the oligarchy and then return back to the conversation when we when humanity <laughs> very, very good point very good point I'm arguing people telling me that the gnomes that they see on these psychedelic trips are actually real and they're trying to steer us into freedom. I'm like, okay, buddy. Yeah. You're just hallucinating. <laughs> when you're hallucinating. Yeah, it could be that. Or, you, I mean, you could have interdimensional aliens communicating with you, giving you special divine messages from an, another another dimension. That might yeah. be happening. Or you might be hallucinating. That's true. <laughs> you know? You got you got unresolved shit inside your subconscious that is taking on a, a more visceral life and experience that you didn't think about. So it's surprising you because we all have shit bubbling in our subconscious that we may not have uh, have investigated or explored. And with you know, that's one interesting thing about the mind is that it's not just the conscious part; it is the subconscious part. And I would say, you know, like there's evidence that under under um, hypnotic trances, people have been found to um, uh, demonstrate that they can remember everything, right? That that are we are making the choice. I'm I'm choosing to speak to you. I'm, I've got a sort of vision that I've I've chosen to focus on of the camera, of the screen. Um, certain thoughts I'm choosing to prioritize right now over other thoughts that I'm putting to the wayside. So we're always making choices on varying degrees of amplitude. But you know, they. If I were to like leave this room and just document all of the, or maybe this is a room I'm pretty familiar with. But let's say I were to walk into a a room that I'm not familiar with for like, you know, a few minutes and just make a list of how many things I remember after five minutes of just trying to just look around. It might be 40, 50 items that I could remember, but they did, they've done studies on people who have been um, hypnotically tranced, asking them, how many things do you remember after a five minute experience in a room? And it doesn't stop. There's thousands of things that they, that, that are capable of being brought up because they're able to then just tap into the subconscious. So, I mean, that's a fascinating thing. And, you know, the fact that certain hallucinogenic drugs do um, bring some of the subconscious material to the surface is an interesting thing, probably worth exploring on in some way. But if you're doing it for the under the control of an oligarchical set of social engineers, uh, no, I would say that this is probably something that is uh, going to be used against us, against us all. And it is. I mean, the fact is, you know, look at the... Uh, the, the, that controller of uh, of Kanye West of Yay, uh, uh, oh, the the Canadian uh, special forces guy, Harvey Pasternak or something, Harvey Pasternak. Some yeah, Harvey. Yeah, yeah. He's an advisor to a psilocybin manufacturing company to uh, that that makes as its mandate the uh, rendering of psilocybin tech available to every Canadian. Um, anytime they want it. That's part of the mandate as part of and, our and this is the whole entire thing. If you notice, right, there's been so much of a push to psilocybin in the mainstream media, in mainstream sources, in mainstream magazine, reason magazine, psychology today, on and on and on and on about psilocybin, psilocybin, psilocybin. Oh, this is good. Mushrooms, healing trauma, blah, blah, blah. And they don't understand that there's a flip side to this. Why do they want you to be hooked on this stuff? Yeah, exactly. I mean, and I, I was just reading this book here with uh, with Cynthia. It was recommended by a friend of ours in uh, in Germany um, called The Immortality Key by this guy, Brian uh, Moore Rescue. And it's called The Secret History of the Religion with No Name. And it's interesting in the sense Ooh, that it is. Oh, I like yeah. that. 
Yeah, you should buy it. I'm gonna buy um, it. The immortality key. Yeah, it's not super useful, but it's useful in the sense of you know it's got an opening by uh, Graham Hancock, and it's really a, a manual for a, it's a declaration of war against um, Christianity, um, and it's 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 lame, ah, in a very readable way. It's it's eminently yeah. readable. Um, it's it's laying out the the template for the the creation of new uh, pseudo uh, religious cults that would be animated by the pursuit and and embrace of a drug culture to replace the archaic and uh, outdated relics of Christian Judeo Christian ethic that would then be superseded, ironically, by returning to what they say is the original true doctrine of christ which is a psychedelic christ christ was basically it's the, it's the old yeah it, it's it's insanity it's all gobbledygook and psychobabble yeah, by people who just want to rebel against something that has that has helped fashion a classical no, western civilization it's, lame. it's it's that lame and it, it really is like the uh one of the arguments is is that you know how could christ have recruited as many people as he did so effectively in his followers after he died how could they have recruited so many people unless they were making they were they had access to the secret doctrines of the illusion mysteries which oh that's what people it was who are geopolitically ignorant yeah that might seem like an attractive theory certainly i think they do make a solid case that uh, that the drug cults were or that drugs played a very important role in the illusion mysteries uh, just outside of greece as part of the the rites of, in, of initiation that seems to be very very true um and that's what people like albert hoffman the uh, the guy who worked with the CIA MK Ultra program that invented LSD 25 and that worked with children, you know, leading figures within the military industrial complex in order to popularize it. People like, uh, I mean, there's, there's a whole network. It seems like they were all studying the ancient synthetic cult creation techniques of pre pre-Christian uh, Roman Greece. They were looking at that and, and that's how they did derive their LSD 25 that was then like pushed into the population that created what became the baby boomer uh, hippie generation of, you know, like I'm going to stop wars and stop corruption by having sex with everything that has a hole in it and having like a big kumbaya while doing drugs with my, uh, my unwashed, you know, colleagues from, from, from university in, uh, <laughs> in fields. I mean, like it, it was just absurd what was put through, what this generation was put through, but <clears throat> There, it, the whole idea was, yeah, Jesus was such a hippie, right? Like, look at Jesus Christ Superstar, like Andrew Lloyd Webber. This is the thing that recruited a lot of these, uh, these the, the people from that generation who were recruited to Christianity were recruited based on the idea, or many of them were recruited through things like Jesus Christ Superstar that showcases Jesus and his apostles as hippies. Yeah, um, absolutely. And so this, these people are trying to masquerade like they're intellectuals with, with uh, academic credentials. And they kind of are in some ways, but only because academia has been taken over by this same anti-humanist uh, priesthood. So it's not really academia in, a, in an honest sense of the term of what academia should be, which is a pursuit of truth. And instead, what they're doing is they've, they've got a full-on assault. And one thing that's interesting about this guy, he says, oh, I'm Jesuit trained. And uh, what was great about my experience with the Jesuits, Brian Murescu, is that uh, they opened my mind and they set me on my life's mission at uh, Georgetown University, which is a Jesuit-run university where they condition all sorts of... Uh, oh, the, and, and there you go. He, he's admitting to the brainwashing. Yeah, and he's saying, like, people like me would have would have been heretical uh, because he's going, you know, visiting the world, and he's like, I went to the Vatican, and I went to the catacombs under the Vatican, 
And uh, in any other year before Pope Francis, I would have been seen as a, a heretic, not permitted to get access to these hecatombs because, you know, it's a fact that there were pagan Roman uh, rites and rituals that were infused when Rome took on the Christian veneer that did create um, a, a corruption within Christianity. That's true. That's true. But, but what he then says is, but now the Vatican is so enlightened since the Jesuits have, have taken, taken uh, more control. And now I had full access to everything, Vatican archives, Vatican catacombs. I had access to full everything I wanted. What a great enlightened world. And I mean, I don't know who would be falling for this, but a lot of people are falling, falling for this sort of thing, not realizing, well, why do the Jesuits exist? And I admit that there are good people who are Jesuits. Yes. I'm not saying that there aren't, but at the same time, the whole Jesuit structure, as far as it being like a paramilitary, um, sacred army, uh, associated to keep the Vatican in control, Roman control, when it was set up in the 1530s under Habsburg dominance of Rome, when the Habsburgs took control of Rome, they created, and I don't say they as far as simply the Habsburg family, but you had the the ruling oligarchical structures that were actually the dominant inner inner families of Rome that then seated themselves and migrated in Europe after Rome fell, and they had a, a, a center command structure in Venice with massive branches and penetration into uh, various um, family structures that they then set up and organized in other parts, including the Habsburg Empire, um, the Catholic fascist sort of Inquisition Empire, which had its, 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 its center of command being always in Venice, just like Venice later on uh, established themselves in the Netherlands, as well as in, in Britain. Um, with the with the takeover in 1688, but they had their penetration, their tentacles with their proto-deep state everywhere. Um, somebody just wrote Fordham is a Jesuit school. Um, yes, but again, you have to keep in mind, because this person also said, and Trump graduated from Fordham. The thing about Jesuits, as I just said, and I'm not saying everybody who goes to Georgetown or Fordham is that. Not everybody comes out evil, Not just like not every Jesuit is evil, because right. the, the way the Jesuit system is organized is through the Masonic rites of initiation of degrees in a very, this is what the, the, the newer Masons after 1701 took on again. Um, the Rosicrucians adopted this technique of giving people a sense of controlled, um, you're rising through a, a hierarchy of degrees after being tested by those who are in a higher order level of the priesthood in usually involving certain forms of self-hypnosis. This is the big big thing that Ignatius Loyola's meditations are big on, basically conditioning the mind of the subject to become convinced or to be able to, to become convinced that white is black, that good is evil. It's right there in the in his meditations that, you know, if God so wills that white be black, then I must believe that white be black. If my superior uh, deems that I do something which my personal conscience deem is evil, then I must do it because my my superior is closer to the will of God than I am, and I let go of my conscience and free will because I am inferior. And so there's all of these self-hypnotic uh, techniques that are part of the experience such that by the time you get to the higher echelon uh, Jesuits, the ones who are, are higher up in the chain of command, and here I'm talking about people of the of the Francis... Or, the, or his coterie, you don't seem to get anything good. Something happens along the way, just like it happens with many, many Freemasons. 
along the way um where on a lower lower level the lower degrees you've got a lot of really honest and good people who do a lot of good things um but something happens along the way where once you get to those higher 33rd degrees uh something uh, different occurs and this is where you have usually lost yourself along the way in a controlled set of experiences that have brought you to become a managerial uh member of the 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 system above nation states and above the elected components of government so all that to say this is what the jesuits always have been this is why they got kicked out of so many countries from japan to france to spain at different times they were even kicked out they were banned from europe by a pope in 1773 clemens the 14th or something who ends up dying very quickly there afterwards but they're kicked out for 50 years the jesuits are not allowed to, to operate from 1772 all the way until 1815 at the end of the Napoleonic Wars. The Jesuits are not allowed to be in, in anywhere in Western Europe. They, they had to go underground if they wanted to remain behind. And otherwise, their, their headquarters that they chose to then uh, center themselves around was St. Petersburg in Russia. And so Russia became for 50 years, the headquarters of global Jesuit operations until, you know, in Russia, they, they had their own fight to, to try to do battle with these things. You, the nationalists, the people who actually care about Christianity and humanity, who actually, you know, did their fight. There were assassinations in Russia. And uh, and at a certain point, the, Je the Jesuits were reconstructed back in 1815 to be the policing officers of the Holy Alliance that uh, reasserted the, uh, the power of the oligarchical class that basically said, well, look at what happens when we allow democracy and republicanism and ideas that that awaken the souls of people's love for liberty and freedom. Look at what happens when we allowed those sorts of ideas to be published in our newspapers and our books. We get Napoleon, a so-called Republican, at least at first, that's how he called himself, who then uh, waged war with the world to try to become, and you know, Napoleon tried to declare himself emperor of the world. That was his idea, is to reconstruct the Roman Empire with himself as emperor. Um, <clears throat> and so they were like, well, look, if that's what, what allowing American Republican ideas into Europe uh, gets us, it's best that we just ban those sorts of things forever by reasserting um, an organizational structure that'll involve the Jesuits of the Ho Holy Roman Alliance. And also that involves the banning of certain ideas from universities, from printing presses. And that's why Americans actually kind of benefited in the, in the 1820s through this mass fascist censorship of an influx of some of the best people of Europe and of Germany who then started coming in in waves into America because they, they were being destroyed in universities. They couldn't be published. They, they were artists and scientists who were being annihilated, assassinated. And so to survive, they came to America, which in, in many ways gave America some of, some of uh, the highest quality minds of the world, thank God, which allowed America to, to navigate um, through some of the, the worst deep state operations that were designed to destroy America from within. And people like John Quincy Adams, Abraham Lincoln in the 1830s were vastly dependent upon these German Republicans in America, as well as in Germany, who stayed behind, who were working with people like Alexander von Humboldt, the, the great reformer and, and scientist um, who, who shaped an entire generation or several generations of both artists and American scientists who made pioneering breakthroughs and discoveries that we're not even told about today, or at least that have been obscured because we're, we've been told that, you know, all great scientists emerged out of the British, the British empiricist tradition. That's, that's the lie that's been told to us. 
And, uh, you know, the, the reality is very different. The, 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 the British empir empiricist tradition was always a, an operation to undermine and sabotage the evolution of true science from within by trying to say that, no, it wasn't the German scientist Kepler and his harmonic discoveries of proving musicality organizes uh, the behavior of the planetary motions around the sun. It's not that which actually created gravity. It was this guy 80 years after Kepler named Sir Isaac Newton, and who, who never actually said how he discovered gravity. But when you actually look at those formulas that people like Newton, the great God who had apples fall on his head and he somehow discovered things, um, they're all of his mathematical formulas for all of his, his, his laws of, of gravity, as well as the calculus itself, were all plagiarized from real discoveries made way before him by people like Christian Huygens, by Gottfried Leibniz, by uh, uh, Blaise Pascal, by uh, by Kepler himself, and many, many, many others. By Leonardo da Vinci, did amazing work on optics, which was plagiarized by Galileo and then later plagiarized again by uh, by Newton and the Newtonian school. Uh, Edmund Haley was another uh, grouping within this. The whole Darwinian school that emerged out of the Royal Society of Social Engineers also was a part of this, and they were always tied to Jesuitical operations. The, gr the growth of cybernetics, which is at the heart of the whole great reset repackaging of eugenics after World War II, which is under the cybernetics doctrine of systems analysis. The idea that all systems, including government, economic, managerial, ecological, planetary, uh, bi biological systems are all, this is the whole idea of cybernetics. Um, we, we were told we have to think about all systems as parts that are at, that that are moving within a whole, right? All of those different categories of systems that I just mentioned are are fine, and that's good to think about them that way. It's good to think of everything as a system, but the systems analysis and cybernetics grouping basically said, oh, and by the way, the 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 lens through which we have to evaluate all such systems is through closed binary modeling that is similar to a a digital computer. What, what became digital binary one zero computing technology yeah. is closed. And because they're all closed, that means there's nothing new that could be introduced from the outside or from within. And that all energy within a closed system is ultimately diminishing as the system moves that every motion is requires heat for motion to happen. Mo motion is caused by heat and the act of motion creates heat to varying degrees. At any point you have motion, you have some element of heat being created. And that heat is then sucking because where where heat moves in, where, where heat is created, you have less distribution of heat to go around. So you have a motion towards what's called an irreversible process. Like a reversible process might be a, you know, a, a motion of a pendulum, right? You move it from one side to the other, it'll reverse and do do the same thing again in the opposite direction. That's that's reversible. An irreversible process would be like anything that involves, let's say, burning. If I put this through a kiln and, and burn it, I'm going to change the molecular structure of my my, cera my, my ceramic uh, cup, and I'm not going to be able to get a cup back out of that process. The same thing for any type of heat. If you if you have um, an ice cube, you have heat being sucked into the ice cube. The 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 heat is diminishing. And you can't get that heat back out of the ice cube, but the ice cube is slowly going to be melting and moving towards what's called thermodynamic equilibrium. The idea of blah, right? A sort of like lukewarm blahness where change is not really going to happen anymore. And so they, they, that became the fundamental laws of all systems, including human systems, that 
we're all being shaped teleologically by a future state of heat death, thermodynamic equilibrium, because and 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 within that process of change, there is going to be a diminishing rate of energy to be accessed by the growing numbers of people or mouths that are living within said system. And if you interpret things that way, you're you're logically forced to conclude that the only way to solve the problem of the eventual population crisis and the lack of of available resources is to destroy or control reduce the world population, kill off a big number of eaters to preserve the diminishing returns. Yeah. And that that that's all binary thinking with binary solutions. It's a, always a zero sum game in, a, in in scenarios like that. It's amazing how the western mind has been conditioned to think this way. It's it's ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous. And it, it it's so unnatural because the human mind, if, I mean babies don't think this way. When you go when you look at toddlers, they're not only they 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 they're beautiful because they're they're demonstrating the simplicity and the 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 elegance of the human mind in motion, right? They learn language with no presumptions. They're in awe of everything. They want to know why the sky is blue. They want to know, they want to, they want to always intuitively ask questions of causality and they do it quite well. They're, they're very effective at learning. If you've got a, a, a household speaking four or five fluent languages, a child in that, in that environment will very quickly pick up um, fluently those languages. But what happens is when you're in an artificial, unnatural world too long, you're 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 given false ideas of what learning is. That and and your 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 ego is is artificially inflamed to the point that you don't you don't want to ask big questions because you don't want to be wrong. Or you're told, let's say, that you, when students today come out of a, a PhD program of the STEM, the STEM uh, sciences, you know, um, science, technology, engineering, math. If you come out of that, you're you are told and indoctrinated to believe that that true science never is supposed to ask why, but only what or how mechanically. That's fine, what or how, but why is irresponsible and and ignorant if you try to think that you can do that as a scientist? Children do that naturally, and and healthy scientists like Da Vinci, anybody who's making real discoveries like Leibniz, like Kepler, like Huygens, like Therma, all of those people that I'm, I I just mentioned who are not part of the British empiricist school, you read their writings. The reason why they're so productive in their lives is because they're always asking why always. And, and that, and yes, they don't ignore the details. They don't ignore the mechanics, but they don't sabotage the why in favor of just becoming, uh, uh, devoted, you know, um, formula worshiping mathematicians, the way the British school promotes, or people like the Darwinian school, which essentially is, is effectively a statistical mathematization of biological science, which is not, it, 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 I mean, there's no accounting in the, in the Darwinian world, worldview for how, um, human beings, how, how, how a qualitatively new species emerged from an inferior set of systems. Like how did, um, how, how did life emerge, right? The Darwinian cannot answer, well, how did life happen with your system? It, it all presumes the existence of, of uh, some randomized mutation function at some level that is just random at its heart that just creates changes like rolling of the dice and those changes give advantage for those species that get lucky, get a bigger feather, a bigger claw that can then kill its, its enemies or have more sex in a fight of diminishing returns in a world that is presumed to be a closed system 
and as a closed system is always reducing in the amount of food available for the, 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 the competing members of whatever species. And those species that thrive are those that can kill and have more sex. That's really it. It's, it's a sex kill version of life that is used to then extrapolate and explain how every species ever came into being or disappeared, but they can't explain how life happened from a point where there was no material life on the earth. And they can't express how conscious life emerged where there was no conscious life. Like plants are not going to make the choices of a dog or a cat or a rabbit or a fish. So they can't explain how that leap happens or how, how free will um, conscious life like humans that have a conscience as well, how that emerged from realms where, you know, you only had chimpanzees and things that, that had, that have a, a certain type of, of monkey intelligence but they're, they don't do what humans can do. But, and, and the Darwinian system imposes this anti-creative gradualism onto a, onto a universe that exhibits no such gradualism at all. There is quantized leaps within fossil records. We don't, have, we don't have missing links generally. You have whole systems that come into being and that disappear in geological time. You have the same thing with human beings. We... we, we don't really we we tend to exhibit these creative bursts of progress that usually accompany the moral bursts of liberty like what came out of benjamin franklin's operation not just to discover electricity and share it with new discoveries but to create a new type of system of government wh whereby people were inalienably recognized as being free and not owned by the landlords on an estate that was a very new idea of participatory government that had never been up, tried in any durable fashion ever before that expressed itself materially in these incredibly measurable modes of explosive growth of population. We, we quadrupled, Americans quadrupled their population in the first 40 years of, their, of the Young Republic's existence, um, while at the same time increasing the quality of life, the productive powers of labor per individual, um, by doing things that never had been done before, where the state played a role in creating a climate of growth. But at the same time, you had this enriching where people could all of a sudden benefit economically from their ideas. If you had a new idea on how to make a better train engine, you could get a patent on that. You could then, um, if it works, you would then be able to make money that would then be able to uh, supply you a, a better way of life while at the same time benefiting your whole society by introducing a new technology. So it was a very, very elastic, creatively fluid uh, type of system that was based upon leaping over the Malthusian limits to growth always at the same time as allowing for structure and central government. So government it coexisted with law along with this freedom of the individual that is enshrined in both the constitution that outlines the general welfare of the principle being the cause of the laws or how the entire constitution should be read. If something hurts the general welfare of the people, it is not lawful. It should not be done. But most people don't think on a moral level when they, when they interpret the constitution, including most of the Supreme Court justices, most of the time. So that's often ignored. Or it's misread the way a, a, a Biden, you know, green zombie freak show of, of death cultists would want to read it by saying that, oh, the general welfare is the welfare that of the planet against humans or the welfare of the right of the deserts to be free of humans. So we should read the constitution in such a manner that it, it justifies the destruction of human life or the destruction of dams. Like, you know, in California, they've destroyed 52 dams last year to save nature and preserve the general rights of nature 
in opposition to the farmers, the people living there who need the electricity. All of those things have been made um, re relabeled as bad um, by these, these uh, again, they're death cultists. That's what they are. Um, so they, they misread the general welfare. Or that's what Hitler did too when you read Mein Kampf or anything else. He did everything for the greater good. Or the 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 response to a lot of the, the 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 medical emergency bullshit that we've had to deal with for the past three years—it's all for the greater good. The climate lockdowns that they're trying to prepare us for, greater good—that's not the right kind of thing. But the real kind of greater good is, and there there is a real kind of greater good. It is legit, but you have to think about it a bit. And when Xi Jinping—he just gave a speech um, this week, basically saying that a, a, a science of government is what. China and their their allies and the multipolar alliance are leading. There is such a thing as a science of government. Read Abraham Lincoln's uh, leading economists like Henry Sicari, who's writing about the science of natural law. Um, read Alexander Hamilton. Re read Benjamin Franklin. There, he's talking about government as being the science of hap human happiness. And he's actually formulating the structure around which true government that is in harmony with natural law or in the Chinese lexicon, one might say, uh, the mandate of heaven, right? That man's law is good to the degree that it serves the mandate of heaven, the law that was already built into the moral framework of space-time of the universe and the universe's creator. So China has that, that idea from Confucianism. It's been developed and applied. And anytime an emperor or a ruler of China is in defiance of the mandate of heaven, the people thereby have a right to overthrow said government and institute um, better laws that serve the interests of Tianming. That's another way of saying the mandate of heaven. That's what, what uh, Sun Yat-sen, the, the first president of China, who was trained by Lincoln Republicans in Hawaii in the 1870s and 80s, when he organized the, Amer the, the American Revolution of China that created a Republic of China in 1911, his whole point was the, that the, the former Ming dynasty, or Qing dynasty had fallen short, they, they became too corrupt, and, and they lost the mandate of heaven, giving the people the right to overthrow and institute a new form of government, around which Sun Yat-sen, a Christian Confucianist, no, these are not incompatible things, they're very compatible, called for a government for buying of the people, which to this very day is what uh, Xi Jinping and the current government of China have been organizing for. I mean, Sun Yat-sen is seen as a, as a hero of both China mainland as well as uh, Taiwan, ironically. It's a very interesting phenomenon. And, and the idea isn't simply mob rule or mass democracy by saying a government by the people, for the people, of the people, but it's a it's a it's a it's in harmony with the ideals that were never that were never attained of the United States that take both the Declaration of Independence that say we we are a nation that, that is based upon the unalienable rights of the individual, the life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness being there for everybody because we're human, everybody is sovereign, as well as the general welfare clause of a powerful nation state. Together, that only works if the individuals are citizens, not subjects, not in... Uh, not not creating artificial identities for themselves around uh, recreational drug use or uh, or or entertainment of video games and escapism that that doesn't work you have to have a very disciplined mentally morally disciplined citizenry as john john adams himself said that this form of government is only equipped for it only applies for a moral a devoutly moral society and is wholly unfit for correct society correct oh. and that, that that is the only environment a moral 
morally upright and religious society is yeah. the only society that a republic could work in. It's the only society a Second Amendment could work in. People don't realize these things, man. Yeah. Let me just say something here. I'm, 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 I'm for the first time here. I never do this, but I decided to open up the comments, uh, and I'm just following some of the the live commentaries. Um, Rob, Rob, maybe you're just new to some of this stuff. I'm not too sure, but um, Rob writes: Lincoln had no authority under the Constitution to do what he did to the South, which voted to leave a voluntary union. Um, okay, so here's the thing, Rob: the South. The Confederate South was a British Freemasonic operation uh, run by Southern Rite Freemasons uh, that were loyal always to Lord Palmerston, Albert Albert Pike being a leading figure who, who was a Confederate general um, <clears throat> and who set up the not only the Knights of the Golden Circle that became the first foreign domestic foreign domestically organized terrorist organization in America. Uh, that's Albert Pike. Yes, you can look into that. Um, that that's also what became the KKK. The, he organized the morals Southern Rite Freemasonry around a more hierarchical structure, um, and uh, he was always working with people like George Saunders, um, people like Giuseppe Mazzini, who was the head working of, of this international Freemasonic organized terrorist network to overthrow governments called Young Europe. Young America was what Albert Pike and George Saunders managed from the South. They also had bases of operations in British Canada. The other thing is that the Confederate Constitution, which you can read, I read it, um, it actually calls for the illegalization of the liberation of any any slave ever or the passing of any law that would allow for the liberation of any slave that is enshrined in one of the core articles of the Confederate Constitution. So anybody who says that they would naturally have let slavery, slavery disappear over time um, hasn't read the Confederate Constitution, which actually outlaws the, the illegalization of any slave. Um, that is a big deal. That is a huge deal. Because uh, if you wanted to do that, you would have basically had to. Okay, well, then you should know. He said, I've read the, the Southern Constitution as well. well. Then you should know that the banning and the legalization of liberation of slavery is part of it. Also, the illegalization in Article 1, Section 8 of the Confederate Constitution is um, it outlaws any type of government role anytime in any economic affairs and enshrines free trade as the organizing principle of the Confederate South forever. Free trade is, by the way, a British, a British imperial doctrine composed in the bowels of London by Adam Smith, who himself was on the pay and employed by people like Lord, uh, Lord Shaftesbury, uh, no, sorry, Lord Shelburne, who at the time in, during the American Revolution was the, uh, the head of British intelligence and uh, and was deployed to create a logical framework that would justify why no colony of the British Empire, which at the time was the only one world government that existed with penetrations all over the world, highly enmeshed with Jesuitical operations, by the way, would not be allowed to use protectionism or state intervention in any way, national banking, none of this would be allowed by law if you followed the doctrines of Adam Smith's invisible hands that somehow organized the the um, the hedonistic calculus of the marketplace, where everybody under Smith's doctrine of value is animated by purely a desire to maximize pleasure and avoid pain, which is expressed in the markets, whatever that means, ignoring the fact that Smith understood very well that the markets themselves were being managed massively by the British East India Company and the city of London which were just like today, the center of global financial manipulation. They didn't, that's not a new thing. 
And the British uh, East India Company was a globally extended operation utilizing monopolies of various forms of control. Um, oh, hello. No. Rob is saying, so if I want a divorce, my wife can say no and hold me under her control. That's between you, you and your wife, dude. I'm just talking here about natural law. If, if, if you, if, you, <laughs> yeah, that's between I'm you lost. Right. I don't know about that, but I'm saying here that this is uh, the, the, the actual diso disobedience. If you want to own human slaves, then um, you lose what's called the mandate of heaven. The, the, the natural law. Not, natural law presumes that all people are created equal and have equal access to liberty. If you create a law or a, a, an entire nation that is based upon the illegalization of the liberty of a big chunk of your population, and by the way, the, the black population went from, or the, the black slave population of the South went from 2 million in 1840 to 4 million by 1861. They were breeding them like cattle, like 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 Jesus. Cattle. Yeah. Holy like, crud. Your, of your average... Uh, slave in the deep south was literally once you were moved down into the deep south you had about a five to six year life expectancy then um eating bugs you would have been lucky to eat bugs like that's that's really what the world economic forum wants for all of us so if you're going to defend the confederate south at that time then you're on the wrong path right now you you don't understand what the the nature of the world is that's shaping your future you don't you have to reevaluate that because that was organized as a one world government from London to destroy the United States, undo the, 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 the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, undo America, and recre recreate a global slave state. Um, so, look, I would just say reevaluate that whole idea of your sense of what the Civil War was all about. I've written several books on this called Clash of the Two Americas, Volume 1 goes deep into this. I would say pick it up. It's like 10 bucks on, on, on my website as a PDF. Um, review it. It's a different story than what you've been led to believe. Now, uh, no, I mean, look, there, there's this whole other thing that's going on right now that, that has a lot to do with the fact that the only viable serious resistance that is beautiful to this depopulation death cult agenda is coming out of what has become the multipolar alliance led by Russia, China, and their allies. That is, that is the fight. That's where it's at right now. I don't see much. There is there is little beacons of hope and of small resistance in America. I, I do think that it's interesting that some of what the, that the Durham report just came out and the Durham report really, really, it took a long friggin' time, way too long, but it does demonstrate that the FBI, what they did illegally to try to promote the uh, this idea of Russiagate, that was always a complete fraud. And even CNN is being forced to admit that this does uh, vindicate Donald Trump and also puts a really bad light on what the FBI has done. The FBI is, has been caught uh, doing so much, not only since, since it was created as an internal domestic uh, terror organization under Teddy Roosevelt in 19, uh, 1908. The F, that's when the FBI was created, was to run internally controlled uh, red common scares, Bolshevik red common scares. there, V. What do you, you still there, V? Oh. I mean, I apologize. My office is near like some plumbing and stuff. I apologize. That's what, that's what you. I'm not in the bathroom. I promise you. <laughs> There's literally pipes that go overhead, right where the I have like a, one of those hollow drop ceilings. Yeah. So there, and you push up the tile. It's pipes on directly where my. That's what you're hearing. Every so often, they have like a sump pump outside, and you hear that stuff just going right out. It's just not a worry. Not a worry. It's okay. Okay. Sorry about that. <laughs> All right. So, um, no, I mean, what, what you're dealing with is 
a structure whereby the Donald Trump is it's he's in an interesting place. He was given an, a bit of a hard time to say the least. Um, I, I you know I just found out that the, this woman, uh, this insane woman uh, who paints trees blue, who is uh, this this writer for E Magazine was was deployed by whatever the hell is controlling her to try to like run a lawsuit about something Trump apparently did thirty years ago yeah. that he wasn't even found guilty for. But you know this this whole sexual abuse thing. Oh, yeah. um, they had to change the laws in New York. A year before that she put this thing out, this whole thing was bankrolled by the founder of Billionaire who runs LinkedIn, who's an anti-Trump advocate. Who's an Epstein um, Island uh, lister right there. Okay. Epstein Island lister. Mm. He's the one who bankrolls her entire lawsuit. She, you know, And the, the jury trial is a sham. They basically force Trump to pay like $5 million in, in legal damages and emotional trauma that, that the woman suffered by basically <laughs> him just saying that she's a liar. But she couldn't prove anything that she was saying. She also openly said that she doesn't even believe that uh, that sex has anything necessarily to do with sexual abuse. And you could just, and you know, th there's these weird videos of her describing uncomfortably how um, like, like rape is all about the violence of the mind. It's not about the reality of what's happening. And you know, this woman's insane, but all that to say, this is what uh, people thought was going to destroy Trump. Like a lot of the, the deep staters thought that that was going to annihilate him. It's actually caused his polls to massively increase. And even when CNN put on a program where they gave him a chance, where they basically tried to, uh, you know, publicly humiliate him over this, uh, this conclusion, it turned out to be hugely entertaining to watch. And he wiped the floor with the moderator. And, uh, and now CNN is being sued by this, deep state woman uh you know for basically making giving trump a platform and making her look bad again so it's just, it's that's just an interesting thing I, I find uh fun to watch and the durham report showcasing the role of the fbi and intelligence agencies undermining the united states from within is also very interesting and timely considering what i just said about albert pike and, and internal intelligence agencies organized by the by the british foreign office which by the way F FBI was created at the same moment that MI five was created. Modeled on MI five, it was created in nineteen oh seven. FBI was created in nineteen oh eight, and uh, w when Robert Mueller, the guy who was who was assigned to oversee the witch hunt called Russiagate, was still FBI director in in two thousand and one, in the wake of nine eleven, he brought in the director of MI five into uh, Washington, who then integrated MI five operations and uh, completely transformed FBI operations to be much more based upon insurgency, infiltration, and psyops than it was previously. And um, and so it's always Fast been forward to 2016, and you have Christopher Steele. And you got Christopher Steele, another MI6 operative. Yeah. You've got R R Sir Richard Dearlove, who's again another guy who just met with Zelensky, who's still a big handler. He didn't leave MI6. Nobody leaves MI6, by the way. Stephen Halper, the Trump admin, MI6 guy. Oh, Exactly the the whole setup of uh, George Papadopoulos and all, all of yep. this stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, all, the whole thing is a British operation. This is what's what's managing the whole. I mean, I people can read they can read about this. I don't think I, I'm I'm preaching to the choir now. But all this to say, it's it's still the same British thing that was trying to undo the American Revolution back in sick in the 1860s, which was a British operation to use proxies to create civil wars, just like you see being employed, employed under uh, Syria. That's thank God it's failed. Syria is being welcomed back into the Arab league through the amazing back channel diplomacy and overt uh, over channel diplomacy of Russia and of China. 
You have uh, Taiwan being used to try to provoke separatist movements right now. Uh, the same the same technique that was used in the separatist, the artificial proxy separatist movement that was the Confederacy in the 1860s. Um, the same thing was being done in the Bolsheviks when the Wall Street and City of London crowd under under Lord Milner organized the Bolshevik Revolution to have the, the Russia have a civil war that ate itself up from within. Thank God that some of the better nationalists ended up coming out of that in some form of, uh, of, of position of influence, but otherwise it almost completely annihilated Russia, which is still something that they're trying to do. And they have been trying to do for a thousand years. They've still been trying to, to undermine China from within. They tried it with the civil war, you know, CIA national endowment for democracy funded proxies within Xinjiang that ran hundreds of terrorist uh, attacks onto the Chinese, mostly Chinese police and Chinese government uh, officials for, over 14 years, you know, China shares a border with Afghanistan. That's what was done. China responded very differently from the United States by not bombing any country, but rather doing a very different approach that involved bringing massive economic development, high-speed rail training, trade schools to Xinjiang, which has now seen a doubling of the overall uh, life expectancy since 50 years back and also the quality of life, productive powers. That's the right way to do it. That's how, that's how the survivors who of Lincoln, the Lincoln allies around people like, like uh, Secretary of State Seward, who also survived 20 stab wounds the same night Lincoln was killed. His Secretary of State uh, got 20 stab wounds by an assassin around the same British-directed kill operation that was deployed to kill Lincoln. Now, he survived because he had already been, there was already an assassination attempt that tried to kill him a, a week earlier that threw him under a carriage and caused like 80 bones of his body to be broken. And, and he was there with like, uh, like a, like a scaffolding of metal, metal plates everywhere trying to like heal his body. And that's when, and luckily the, the metal scaffolding caused the knife to avoid all vital organs. But the guy was, it's a, it's a different time. Uh, secretary of Seward was just made of sturdy stuff back then. That's what I'll, you know, and he went back to work after a few months of rehabilitation and organized for a massive economic development strategy with people like Charles Sumner, like um, Ulysses S. Grant later on. That was, it was admittedly sabotage, but it was sabotage because you had many people like uh, McKinley or like Garfield who were assassinated yeah. by British directed terrorist organizations that were nominally anarchistic, centered in Canada, centered across little cults in the USA and Europe that killed about 28 major heads of state between 1865 and 1914 when the Archduke Ferdinand was assassinated by one of these British-directed black-hand Serbian terrorist cells centered in a, in a headquarters based in London. Um, so, I mean, even Hitler, you know, the whole creation of Hitler is a synthetic, um, you know, messianic false personality was done in London's Tavistock Clinic when Hitler was getting therapy in the in 1912, along with Rudolf Hess, who both together were sitting in a, uh, a prison in, in 1922, uh, being, you know, prepared to go on to greater things after their beer hall putsch failed. But Hitler was a, a Tavistock MK Ultra type or proto MK Ultra operation. That's the whole thing. So we're, we're being played and people are underestimating the nature and structure of British intelligence operations past or present they don't understand how this thing operated in ancient greece in ancient rome um we you know my wife and i did a documentary on this called the uh, the occult roots of secret societies and intelligence operations people can go to canadianpatriot.org and watch that 30 minute video going through the cults of delphi 
as well as how this thing transmogrified uh, to undermine America from within, how this overthrew and killed the best people around Franklin Roosevelt, around John F. Kennedy, including Kennedy and his brother. Um, that documentary is thorough. It goes through that. I would suggest, especially Rob, watch that documentary. Buy, buy volume one of my book. Reevaluate some of your axioms. You got to do it. Um, if you don't, you don't have to do it because you have free will, but I'm encouraging you to do it, please. So all that to say, there's a lot going on. People need to really like just increase their, their standards of what they think that they're capable of both mentally and physically in the real world. And, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll end it there. I think that's, uh, that's been a pretty, pretty good. Hey, you covered, uh, you covered the gambit over there, man. Uh, it was yeah. awesome. Uh, folks, again, Matthew Eric, get the book. It's important that you guys get the book, understand the powers, the, 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 uh, private interests that were behind much of the events that are, that are taking place in the United States in the past and even in the present. Uh, this way you get a very firm framework. And Matthew's book, Symphony of Two Americas, covers that, Volume 1, Volume 2, Volume 3, and Volume 4. Very, very, very pivotal for you to get and for, very pivotal for you to understand. And again, folks, you can find Matt over at his website. The links are on the description box, CanadianPatriot.org. CanadianPatriot.org, RisingTideFoundation.net, as well as the Substack. The links are all in the description box. Thank you all for listening in. We are over and out. Cheers.